what a joy. I know many of you don't know who I am, and I'm actually thrilled about that. Uh, I am uh, the senior pastor of Coastal, and uh, I try to travel to some of our campuses from time to time and preach a message and uh, sub in for your pastor. Uh, your pastor, Andrew Segree, is amazing. Amen. Give that guy a round of applause. You guys are blessed to have him. I am blessed to know him. Uh, every time I'm with him, he makes me think. Every time I hear his sermons, I am challenged by them, and I learn something, and I know he is shepherding you all well, and, uh, and you're blessed to have him as your lead pastor here at the Chesapeake campus. So make sure you're praying for him. Uh, as we're learning through Nehemiah, leadership is not always easy, right? And, uh, and he's leading you, and so keep him and his family in your prayers. I know he would appreciate uh, uh, those as well. So I, uh, you guys were already setting me up. You don't know this, but the first song that you sang this morning, I feel like, I feel like uh, Andrew, you were just kind of throwing me some shade this morning. The first song we sang was written by my daughter-in-law. So I'm just proud of that, okay? So uh, enjoyed singing that with you uh, as well. So today is the endowment lunch afterwards, okay? And it's really just a vision for us as a Coastal United. And, uh, and so if you didn't sign up to come, oh, you can have my plate of food, okay? Just come. We want you there. And I really, really want you to hear uh, about the uh, vision of what God is doing with us together. Uh, we're better together. Amen? We're better together. So Coastal ultimately is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's the deal, all right? We, as human, human beings, are sinners against a holy God. What we deserve is the wrath of God. But God is a good God. He's a patient God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And so God did something amazing. He substituted his one and only son to take the place of his wrath and hatred for sin so that Jesus can bear it for you and you don't have to. That's an amazing story. And so Jesus Christ took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place. And God the Father poured out his wrath and hatred for my sin on Jesus instead of on me. So those of you who know your Bible, know that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me, right? And so what's happening there is he's bearing the wrath of Sean Brown's sin so that Sean Brown doesn't have to bear it on his own because I could never bear up under the wrath of God for what my sin actually deserves. And if that was the end of the story, it'd just be a martyr's story, but they laid his cold, dead, lifeless body in a grave, and the Bible says that our sin has earned us something. The wages of sin is what? Is death, right? And so Christ, by bearing though, even though he never sinned, he bore my sin, he suffered the wage of my sin, and he died, but then he did something. And 1 Corinthians says, 15 says that death is our final enemy, and Jesus Christ stepped over our final enemy, and he rose from the grave. Isn't that amazing? And so what do we do with that amazing story? The Bible says when we turn from our sin, we repent, and we believe and receive Christ in our heart, he transforms us from the inside out. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you so that you can have both abundant life and even better, the hope of eternal life. That's the story. Amen, church? And so the Nehemiah series 
is about the idea of the kingdom of God. How do we, how do we offer the kingdom of God to the rest of the world, right? And we're learning these lessons about the kingdom of God. If you don't know Christ today, man, come talk to me, talk to Pastor Andrew, talk to one of our prayer people afterwards. Man, we would love to pray with you and talk to you about how you can connect with your creator uh, through the gospel of Jesus. Do me a favor, turn with your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 6, okay? Get your note sheet out. I'm actually going to end by having you write down two things uh, that I want you to know. If you're not in a small group yet, not too late, we're doing sermon-based small group. You can go on the website, find a small group that fits your time. The way you prepare for a small group is sermon-based. You take notes and you're ready and you show up and we're going to intersect the word of God with your life. And so today we want to talk about distractions. Distractions can hinder what God is doing in our lives and, and the vision of God. Uh, my wife has a unique gift, speaking of distractions. Uh, she has a unique ability to begin to tell me something important in the final two minutes of a football game, all right? And it's a gift, and I don't know how she does it, okay? Uh, but it's pretty common, right? The football game's on two minutes left, game's tight, and all of a sudden she's talking to me about something important. And I've learned to get, I have a gift, okay? And my gift is to pay attention to the football game and somehow think, make her think I'm still listening, okay? And it's a gift too. And so I said, uh huh, yep, mm hmm, uh. And then usually what happens is my sin finds me out later because I'll bring up some the subject she was talking to me about. And she's like, weren't you listening? Right? Anybody, anybody else have that gift? Right? A couple of you? Yeah, a couple of you. It's distraction, right? Distraction can be funny, but distraction can be serious. I remember, and I know I'm going to tell this story, and some of you are going to be, sit here in disbelief, okay? Uh, but you've probably done it too. I remember driving once and doing this. Anybody, ever, anybody here ever done that, willing to confess it in public? Only half of you are confessing it. The rest of you have done it, okay? So, uh, and I was doing this, and I looked up, and all the traffic in front of me had stopped. You ever done that? And I slammed my brakes, and by the grace of God, I didn't hit anybody. And after that, I got a hands-free set, okay? Uh, but distraction can lead you to serious, serious consequences, right? So young people, don't drive distracted, okay? Put the thing on the dashboard, get the little clip on, put your phone down. And so today we want to talk about Nehemiah, the distractions come. So he's building the wall. I know Pastor Andrew's done a great job of teaching you guys this story. He's building the wall. He's near completion. And now some people begin to distract him. Sanballat and, and Tobiah come in, and they try to get Nehemiah to stop doing what he's doing and, and to come down, right? And, and then that doesn't work. And then they hire some false prophets to try to trick Nehemiah actually to sin. Uh, and then we find out in this story, there's actually even some Jews inside the camp that don't fully have the vision of Nehemiah. And so our distraction can come from without or they can come from within, okay? Both are opportunities for distraction. And this is where we learn in uh, chapter six that the wall is finally completed. So let me give you a couple points that I hope you can take home and encourage you in your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. Number one, there's the danger of outside distractions in our lives, okay? Outside distractions, things outside in the world, things we're focusing on. And so here we go, Nehemiah chapter six, verses one to three. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Gresham, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I'd built a wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So the wall's done, haven't quite finished the gates and the doors. Verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem, they came to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Herkepharim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. 
And I sent messengers to them. And I'm saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Okay? Church, we, we have to have a biblical worldview or we will be distracted by the things of the world. First John tells us that, right? The things of the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, they will distract us. We have to, letter A, we have to remember what matters, what's really important. I think one of the things that a Christian does is they, they evaluate their lives and they say, what are the really important things that I need to be focused on? Because here's the deal. You, you have a lifetime assignment you have 70 or 80 or maybe by God's grace you get 90 years and then it's not a matter of you don't exist you exist forever and ever 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 and I'm just getting started right you get the picture and this 70 or 80 years apparently according to the scriptures determines some really important things about that forever and we need to think about, man, what really matters. You guys have probably heard this illustration, but I just think it's such a great illustration. The professor uh, at, a, at a college, he had the big 55-gallon drum. Any of y'all know what a 55-gallon drum is? Big barrel, right? And then next to the 55-gallon drum, he had these really large rocks. And then next to that, he had a, a pile of pebbles. And then next to that, he had a pile of sand. And next to that, he had some buckets of water. And he takes his 55-gallon drum and he says, this is your life. This is all that you can accomplish in your life, okay? It represents your life. And he takes the big rocks and he puts the big rocks in the barrel, right? And then he takes the pebbles and a shovel and he begins to shovel them in the barrel and he sh shakes it so it all sifts down in. And then he takes the sand and he shovels that into the barrel and he shakes that down so that sinks down into the barrel. And then he takes the water and he dumps it in all the way till it's at the brim. And he says to the college student, Students, what does this what was I trying to teach you and one of the college students raises their hand they said you're trying to teach us that we can get more done in life than we think we can and the college professor says no to have a successful life you have to put the big rocks in first that is how you fill your life and it's really if we will be distracted by outside influences if we don't first determine what the big rocks are. So I'm going to teach you a leadership principle. Okay, This is not a, necessarily a gospel principle, but I think it will help your gospel uh, aspirations. All right, One of the things that I do on my planning is my count. I, do, I teach my young pastors this, and I know Pastor Andrew does this. I call it block scheduling. I look at my calendar, and I put in the big rocks right away. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, and those of you, many of you will verify what I'm saying if you're in any kind of leadership position. Life's busy, right? And I can just tell you, as a pastor of a growing church, when my kids were little, I almost never missed their hobbies. Very, very rarely. You want to know why? The big rocks went in first, okay? So the big rocks. You know what goes in on my calendar every Monday? Sermon prep. Because God has allowed me by his grace to have influence and teach the Bible. And I put that in on Monday. It doesn't move. There is a, probably two Mondays out of the year that I will flex that out. But that's the big rocks, okay? And, and then meetings to stay organized goes in my schedule. This is very practical stuff. You know, when my kids were younger, their schedules went in. 
the Seattle Seahawks schedule goes on the calendar, right? It doesn't move. And so today we've got to hurry up with this endowment lunch, all right, because there's a 1 o'clock kickoff, all right? Very important stuff. Just kidding, all right? So, uh, and so put the big rocks in. And I tell my pastors, you don't have to be the tyranny of the urgent. I'm going to protect your pastor, okay, for a second. He didn't ask me to say this. If you call him at 8 o'clock at night because your marriage is falling apart, I will leave it up to him whether he rushes out to meet with you or not because your marriage falling apart didn't happen that evening. Amen? He's got a family. He's got things. Now, he'll, I know him, and he loves you, and he will schedule an appointment. Hey, we will work it out, and I will meet with you, and I will try to help your marriage. But your lack of planning is not his emergency. Amen? All right, he didn't pay me for that. All right, I just love him. All right, so there we go. What's our big rock at Coastal? Anybody know? What's our big rock? We are here to do what? Develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we, man, everything we decide to do, we run through that grid. Is it helping us fulfill what God has called us to do? And we say, man, there's four really important things to do that. We want you to tend corporate worship. That's connect. We want you to grow close to Jesus in a small group, in community, right? Grow. We want you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving in a ministry and mission. Grow, serve. And we want you to pour your life into someone else and duplicate what you're doing. That's multiply. Church, those are, those are some of your big rocks in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we didn't just make that up willy-nilly. That was us looking at the scriptures and saying, what does a disciple of Jesus look like and do? And those should be some of the big rocks. And so you're going to be, you have to put the big rocks in and say, God, what does you want me to do? Let her be, right? We're going to be tempted sometimes to stop doing important work. We're going to be tempted by the things of the world to stop doing an important work. Some of the temptations that have come my way through the years is this temptation to stop my discipleship. What is, by the way, Jesus in Matthew 28 um, told us to make disciples what what's at the root of the word disciple anybody it's discipline right and so this call from the enemies of nehemiah to come down off the wall is a temptation to grow lazy in discipleship i grow lazy in discipleship okay i, I one of the things that we do with our staff at coastal and i do it every single year too we do measurable goals. What is it that you think God wants you to accomplish in your ministry? And every year in mine, I have personal measurable goals, okay? And, and so I have to put in, I want to, you know, if you want to read five books this year, don't put, I want to read five books. Put in your measurable goal. I'm going to read five pages a day, right? And if you read five pages a day, you'll, hit, you'll read, you'll grow in your discipleship. There is a temptation to grow lazy in your spiritual disciplines. Anybody ever have that? Is it just me that has that, right? So the big rocks for me as I'm tempted is I'm going to be a part of a small group. Okay, guess what? You ready, church? I'm, I'm going to confess something here in Chesapeake, but don't tell York, Yorktown where I preach regularly, okay? Don't tell them. Uh, I am an introvert, and small groups for me are terrifying, okay? So, uh, and so every, you know, every small group night, I'm like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. My wife's like, you have to go. I'm like, why do I have to go? Well, you're the pastor, okay? So, and so I, you know, and so like I go, and every time I put that discipline in, and I don't, I'm terrified, it drains me, all stuff, I leave going, this was awesome. I am so glad I put this discipline in, all right? And it's a temptation to stop your disciplines. Number two, the, the third kind of sub point here is the temptation to focus on the temporal. 
Listen, our enemy wants me to focus on things that don't last. When you're tempted to look at pornography, you're tempted to take your eyes off of the good work that you're doing. If you're single, you're, the good work that you're doing is developing a life of purity that will carry on into marriage. And if you're married, it's the good work of building a family that points them to Jesus. And pornography is just a temptation to come down off the wall and, and stop doing the good work that God has called you to do. Sin is, is a focus on the temporal. Spiritual laziness is a focus on the temporal. There's an old hymn I grew up singing. Some of us oldies will know this one, right? It was the, it's the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. How many of y'all grew up singing that song? How many of y'all know the song? Raise your hand, okay? And there's a line, and I love that, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, we sing. Look full in his, anybody know what comes next? Wonderful face. How many of y'all want to sing it? Maui, come on up here, Maui. Maui, you told me you weren't going to be here today, by the way. You went to your class and came back. Oh! Put yourself in for a raise right there. That's good words. Uh, all right, yeah. Look full in his wonderful face. And what's the next line? And the the earth will grow strangely dim y'all y'all ever notice that's the case this is the craziest thing like again spiritual disciplines i come to corporate worship my week's been heavy things aren't making sense the world's broken the world's spun up and i start singing and suddenly what happens to your burden inside it grows what lighter you ever notice that why is that because it's a biblical tr god gave us the idea that corporate singing lightens the load that was god's idea don't miss corporate worship. Turn your eyes on Jesus and the things of the world grow strangely to them. Now, one thing we've got to be aware of, church, is our enemies don't suddenly stop and go away, right? There's the temptations keep coming. We see this in Nehemiah 6.4. Check this out. And they sent to me four times. So Nehemiah's doing the good work. The Sanballat and the enemies say, come down, meet with us, be distracted. And it wasn't just once four times they do it over and over again and then they change a bit in nehemiah 6 5 through 9 check this out verse 5 and in the same way sanballat for the how many times church fifth time like it just keeps coming sent his servant to me with an open letter in hand and in it was written it is reported among the nations geshem also says it that you and the jews intend to rebel okay so now they're circulating a letter of lies this letter's going around the community Right? This is the early social media, okay? Uh, real, real thing, right? And so it's going around. You, int you intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Well, that was never his desire. Verse 7. And you also have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. So in other words, they're saying you're raising up prophets to run through the countryside and say this. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. And then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say has been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. I love that line. That's a great way to tell somebody they're lying. You're inventing this in your mind, okay? You're inventing this out of your own mind. For Verse 9, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You want to know one of the temptations that will come your way, letter C, is the temptation to defend your name. Listen, 
as a Christian, we, 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 we live in a post-Christian culture, to be sure, right? And, and there's all kinds of lies being levied at us. And, and the temptation is to feel like you need to defend your name on social media, right? So you get on Facebook where they don't limit you to 140 characters. You're like, I'll let them know. Right? And we write this long treatise that no one reads because we've all gotten used to 140 characters or less, right? So listen, we feel like we have to defend our name. Listen, God's word and God's truth are a defense unto themselves. Amen? Listen, we can, you can waste a lot of time feeling like you somehow have to defend Christianity or defend the name of God. And Nehemiah says, I'm going to focus on what God has called me to. I'm going to focus on the exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus was asked? Jesus said, Jesus was once asked to sum up the whole Old Testament. What did he say? He summed it up in two things. Love who? God. And love who? Love your neighbors. Love others. Like in some ways, like I don't have to defend my name. We don't have to defend the name of Christianity. If we just show the world we love God, and here's how we love God, we love you. And we're going we're gonna to lavish you with generosity and hospitality and kindness and and in loving our God and in loving others, God is going to protect what he wants to protect in regards to our name. So there's outside distractions. Number two, there's inside distractions, all right? We see that in verses 10 to 14. There's inside distractions to the kingdom of God and what God is doing. So he says, I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of Mehetabal, who was confined to his house. And he said, let us meet together within the temple let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you by the way had nehemiah done this he would have been being disobedient to the law of god they're trying to make nehemiah feel scared come into the temple and find protection and he would have been because only the priest could go in there okay so they're challenging him with fear to be disobedient verse 11 but i said should such a man as i go and run away and what man should, such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in, verse 12. And I understood that and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me and Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So it was a hired trick, verse 13. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. There is a temptation inside of us to crippling fear. There is a temptation inside of us to crippling fear. I've heard it said that, that fear is the opposite of faith. I actually don't think that's true. I actually believe it's disobedience is the opposite of faith but fear can lead us into sinful disobedience fear is is when god has called us to do something and we're too nervous to walk in obedience how many of y'all remember week one of this series we gave you guys a reach three card remember we said write down the names of three people that you're praying for how many of you has god been stirring and saying 
not only do I want you to pray for them, I, I want you to have a conversation with them about Jesus. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but sometimes when that happens, fear cripples us. I don't want to talk with my friend, my neighbor, my coworker, my loved one about Jesus. My daughter came to me this week, and she'd been one of the people she'd been praying for. She said, God's stirring me to have coffee with them and talk to them about Christ. And she took this person out, and she thought it, and it was going to be antagonistic. And as she began to talk, this person just opened up about her hurts. It was amazing. And now she's going to come over and have dinner with us, and we're going to talk to her. All because my daughter wasn't so crippled with fear that she was too afraid to open her mouth and say, let's grab coffee. I care about you. Tell me what's going on. Right? The fear can cripple us. Maybe there's a tough conversation that you need to have. Maybe there's, ready for this? Ready? Here we go. Now I'm, I'm going from preaching and meddling. Maybe there's a church hurt inside of you that instead of just shoveling it under the bed and thinking it'll go away, maybe you need to call somebody and have a cup of coffee and say, you know, this hurt me. And I, I, I want to, I you know, help me understand why you said this. And maybe there's forgiveness that can be had. But fear has been crippling you so that it's thwarting all that God wants to do in and through your life. Last week, Pastor Segree and all of us, we, we talked about giving. Maybe some of you left here going, you know what, God does want me to be more generous, but fear of the fact that maybe God will or will not provide has kept me walking in disobedience. And then when we have that internal fear, let her be, the temptation can bleed over into sin. So fear is not the sin of itself, but the, the disobedience to the word of God. Had Nehemiah gone into the temple and hid and falsely believed in that his life was in danger, he would have been sinning. Which leads to an easy question. And one of the things, you guys know this, okay? And I love this about Pastor Andrew. He is a great question asker, isn't he? How many of his sermons does he end up making you write down a couple questions? Anytime I'm with him, it intimidates the mess out of me, right? Because he's like, he starts asking me questions. I'm like, I don't think that deeply about my life. I don't even know, you know? It's very intimidating. But are you ready? Here's the obvious question. Is there a fear in your life that's leading you or tempting you to sin in disobedience to the word of God? And what is going on in you? You're like, you know what, God, I, fear is, is, is leading me to disobedience. And what is that fear? Which leads to letter C. There's a third kind of internal temptation, and that's disunity in the body. Okay, you ready? Nothing keeps me up at night around coastal church like the idea of disunity unity is hard yeah only your pastor thinks that okay the rest of you are like ah see it seems easy to me no unity is hard you, you know how you can get disunity do nothing right those of you any gardeners in here flower garden or, or vegetable garden right like how how do you if you want flowers to grow, you got to get out there and weed. If you want your garden to be nothing but weeds, you just don't do anything, right? And the weeds just come. Isn't that weird? Like, how do they come up and take over my beautiful flowers, you know? No, you, and like, like gardening, unity is hard. 
and disunity can splinter. And so we see this within. So within the body of the Jews here that, ne- that Nehemiah is building the city, look at verse 17 and 19. It says, Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah, they sent letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. So there's people inside the camp that, that Nehemiah is working with, and they're essentially gossiping with the enemy, Tobiah. All right? Verse 18. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him because he was the son-in-law. Oh, my goodness, family problems. Here we go, family problems. Son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Era, and the son of Johanna. By the way, I don't know how to say any of these names. If you just say them with confidence, everybody thinks you're right, okay? So that's what I do. It's a pastoral trick that we all have learned, okay? And he had taken his daughter Meshulam and the daughter of Berkiah as his wife, and also they spoke of his good deeds in his, my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Here's what's happening. The Jews inside the camp with Nehemiah are stirring up trouble in such a way that as you read through Nehemiah, you find out the restoration actually ends up failing until Christ comes, okay? And so Nehemiah and Ezra didn't actually finish the job, and part of the reason was there was disunity in the camp of the Jews to fulfill what God had promised. Now, God's promises are never stall. They could stall, but they're never, they, they will find their conclusion in what God has called to happen, okay? But I'm just going to tell you something. There's not many things that keep me up at night like, like disunity in the body. Listen, when there is unity around the word of God, we will see the good hand of God move with us. Amen? Have you guys noticed that in this text? It's one of my favorite lines in Nehemiah. You see it over and over and over. The good hand of God was with me. The good hand of God was with me. The good hand of God was with me. Let me talk to you about what unifies us at Coastal. First of all, and you can write these down. I don't think I have slides for these. Just write these down. There's doctrinal unity. You should write them down for your songs. There's doctrinal unity. We have our eight essential doctrines. We have settled on at Coastal. It's who we are. It's what we believe about the Bible. And we have doctrinal unity. Number two, we're unified in purpose. Our purpose is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. There's doctrinal unity, there's unity in purpose, and there's unity in process. So there's unity in uh, doctrine, unity in purpose, there's unity in process. How do we develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ? We connect, grow, serve, and multiply. There's unity in membership. We call our people to membership. This is about what we believe, how we're seeking to accomplish it, our leadership structure to accomplish it, and who you can talk to when you have a question. And in this unity, I believe that we see the power of God exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Like I've ne- like it shocked me, really, all that God is doing through the ministry of Coastal in this unity by the way and i'll tell you this we have our we have our staff retreat this week right and all our staff's coming together and we're doing a little retreat and i'll tell you what i always tell the staff you are allowed to gripe up you get a problem you find somebody and you gripe up to your boss you are not allowed to gripe laterally griping laterally the bible gives a word for that what's the word for that anybody it's gossip right you got an issue Call Pastor Andrew. He will answer your question. If he doesn't know the answer, he will find out. And maybe you've observed something at Coastal that I would look at and go, you know what, you're right. We need to do better for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus to going forward. Yes, we're better together. I really believe that. Your pastor, 
your senior pastor, your pastor knows more than me. Your senior pastor knows very, very little, right? And I'm always like, I can learn and we can do better, right? And so gripe up, but don't gripe laterally because that creates disunity. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You getting the power of what he's asking? He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Why is he making that appeal? Because the enemies of God and the gospel would love to disunify the church so that the church would have to turn inward and focus its resources fighting inwardly instead of working together to push the gospel outwardly. Amen? God wants us to be unified so that we can push the gospel forward, which then leads to the final point is that, that I want to pull out this morning, is the great encouragement to pause and praise the good hand of God. Pause and praise the good hand of God. Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was finished, and on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in, the tw- in 52 days... And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they had perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Isn't that amazing? Even the enemies of God are like, yeah, that doesn't happen unless it's the great hand of God. I'm not in the military. Uh, but I serve in a military community, and I didn't grow up in the military. I'm not a military brat, but one of the things that I have observed from the outside looking in, so how many of y'all have served, served some time in the military? Raise your hand. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our country thanks you. I praise God for that. We have a great country, okay? Um, but one of the things I've served is that, uh, observed is the military does some amazing, cel- they pause and celebrate, I don't know how that lands with you guys. Like, yeah, it's okay, okay. But like, they state when there's a new rank, they pause and they they celebrate the pinning on of achievement. I love that. I've been a part of some of them. Like, it's amazing to me. And when someone retires from the military, like people take the day off. There's speeches. There's prayer. There's free lunch, just like the endowment lunch today. Okay, shameless plug. Okay, so like, you know, like it's amazing to me, and I love that. And when someone passes and they serve in the military and the military comes out and does military honors, I'm just going to tell you, it gives me chills every single time. Like the, the, the taps are played and the flag is folded and they kneel down and they give it to a cool nearby loved one and, and it just gives me chills. And I'm like, I think sometimes as, as Christians, we don't slow down enough and pause and recognize and praise God for his good hand. Amen? Bill, I see you. Andrew, I saw you earlier. I'm sure I'm missing some names. You guys come to mind. I'm going to tell you guys something. I think, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. I think it, man, that does weird things in that mic when I say the word think, doesn't it? I think it was three years ago about this time. Is that right? Okay, so let me give you guys a little church history. It was three years ago, about this time, that I met with a leadership team of Bethel Baptist Church right here in this room. Right here in this room. 
we didn't even have the heat on. Remember that? Because the heat was broken and there wasn't enough resources to get it fixed. Right? And the church was about 40 people worshiping here, trying to come out of COVID. And we began to pray three years ago and talk and say, man, what if we, what if we joined together for the glory of God? And we talked about the things that would change, right? Like, um, and a lot of churches get really, really spun up about this. Like, it's going to be a new name. Well, guess what? To be a Christian, you get a new name. So what, who cares about names, right? Like, it's going to be a new name. And we came together, and your leadership was humble. And to sit here this morning, I don't know how many are in this room, but I, I'm guessing it's bumping 170, 180 people, plus kids in the back. You guys have got a great growing kids ministry. And I've been challenging Pastor Shagree. We need to get the two services. You guys are good. I'm just, I'm telling some of you. Shit, not, all right, never mind. I'll let him lead that vision. So, uh, you know, I got to stir up enough room. Because we, and, and, and now to sit here less than three years since we finished the adoption and to see the good hand of God do spiritual life. Amen, church? Like, I'm not here every week. You know, you know when your kids, like, you, you don't see your, ki- your, your, your neighbor's kids, your, your family's kids, your, your, cousins, your nieces and nephews, you don't see them for a while, and then they show up like a year later, and you're like, whoa, what happened? You ever do that, right? Your kids, you don't notice it because you see them every day, but someone else's kids, that's how this feels to me. I'm not here every week, and I show up, and I'm like, wow, like, wow, just wow. So be wowed, okay, and celebrate and praise the good hand of God because he's really doing amazing things through you guys. And I praise God for that. So I want to finish with two questions, okay? So write these down. I want to finish with two questions, and, and you guys can, can decide how you want to answer them, right? Question number one is about praise to the Lord. Where in your life have you seen the good hand of God recently? Write this down. You guys can maybe, I'm not in charge of small groups, but... I guess I kind of am. So uh, maybe you can discuss this in your small group, right? Where have we seen the good hand of God? So, you know, the nation of Israel, they, and through Nehemiah, they, they ha- he has this vision, but it's a vision that he can't do on his own. He needed everybody this goes back to nehemiah chapter 3 everybody had to take a piece of the wall and do something and be a part of the vision could not be accomplished in 52 days unless everybody was a part and so here's the second question so the second question is kind of birthed out of the first one we've seen the good hands of god we've seen what god is willing to do and we trust him and walk in faith and trust him in obedience and so here's number two question number two what is god challenging you to do that can only be accomplished in and through his strength so that only he can get the praise and glory and recognition. Think about something. God, I think you're challenging me. Let me give you a couple, couple, and then I'll wrap this up. Maybe he's challenging you to share your faith with someone. What is your reach three that you're praying about? Maybe he's challenging you. I want you to call them up, and I want you to make a coffee appointment, and I want you to talk to them about Jesus. Maybe there's some church hurt. Somebody hurt you. Listen, the church is not filled with perfect people. It's filled with imperfect people. And sinners sin against each other. But Christian sinners should be willing to say, you know what, I blew that one. Can you forgive me? And Christian sinners should go, I forgive you. Let's move forward for the glory of God and the good of the gospel. Okay? 
So maybe you got to call someone and say, I, just, I need to work this out. Maybe there's someone in your life you need to give forgiveness to. Like, you've been holding on to justice. I'm going to exact justice from this past hurt. And God's saying, then why don't you let that one go and turn it over to me, and I will exact justice the way I deem fit. In fact, what does the Bible say about that? Vengeance is whose? That is mine, right? Olivia Rodrigo, or whatever her name is. Am I saying it wrong? She has it wrong, right, Corey? I'm going to get him back, all right? No, it's not up to all the teenagers. Are like, I got you. I have a teenager in the house, all right? So I know what's being sung out there. All, right, all the old people are like, well, never mind. Let's move on. Okay. Um, no, it's the Lord gets vengeance. It's not up to us. Maybe it's serving. Maybe God's calling you to serve, and you're like, man, I, I could never step into that opportunity and serve. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it was last week's sermon. Like, God's challenging you to giving. And you're like, I don't, is God really going to make up the difference if I start giving that? And the answer to that is yes. And so here's what I want you to do. Write it down. Where have you seen the good hand of God? Let's praise him. And number two, what is God challenging you to do that can only be accomplished if he shows up in his strength and accomplishes what he's calling you to do? I think if we answered those two questions, we would see God glorified through our lives where even the people around us would go, that's the good hand of God. That's happening because it's the good hand of God. And in that, God will display his glory, not only through your life individually, but through us as a church corporately as we serve him together. Amen, church? Amen. I'll invite the worship team up, and uh, let's close with prayer. And then I don't know how Pastor Andrew dismisses so i won't dismiss i'll leave that up to him and uh but i know we're going to sing and remind our hearts and minds of the good hand of god let's bow our heads and pray heavenly father we all in this room can think of things that we can praise you it would it would be pride and lack of humility that would keep us from recognizing your good hand with us God and so we thank you for your good hand saving us blessing us using us God how, how do you forward the gospel you use us there's a, other ways you could have done it but you let us be a part of what you're doing we praise you for your provision God, I, all that you've provided for us individually, how you've provided for this church, this congregation, God, I praise you for that. And God, now we want to walk in obedience. There's things that you have called us to do that is bigger than us. It's actually a little bit scary. If we step out and follow you in obedience, maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's sharing our faith, maybe it's giving, maybe it's serving. God, we all have areas that, man, we, we want to run into the temple and hide in fear. Like Nehemiah was tempted to do, God. But you have called us to walk because you are the God that, that gives the strength. It's not us, up to us to come up with the strength. It's up to us to walk in obedience. And you, oh God, provide that strength. And so, God, I pray that you would bless these people as they walk in obedience. 
Father, I thank you for your sheep that you display your glory. And now, God, we're going to go out singing, reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has given us new life, the praise and unto the glory of God the Father who loved us before time began. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.